When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with me, James Gray of iNews.co.uk and the iNewspaper. As always, I'm joined by George Belshaw, the tennis writer, and live from the National Tennis Centre in Roehampton, Calvin Beton, our resident tennis coach who is deep in pre-season mode. I'm sure he's sent his lads out on a two-hour run in the snow. Have you sent them out in the snow, Calvin, for a character-building uh, day of preseason? Uh, there was some talk of a Rocky Four style S and C camp uh, <laughs> first thing this morning. I know that what I did think so I actually had to walk up from Barn Station to the National Tennis Centre um, last night when the snow was at its peak, and my only thought for the whole twenty-minute walk was this camp used to be held in F in Miami, <laughs> uh, and uh, and yeah, it was a. There's actually a. There's a park. If anyone's walked to the National Tennis Centre from Bard Station, there's a park and a pathway through the park. They advise you not to go through there at night because there has been some muggings. Mm. Um, and I normally wouldn't for that reason, but then it does add about 10 minutes onto your journey. And I I thought, as I, I looked, I'd, I was at the crossroads of whether to do it or not, and I thought, you know what, if there's any muggers out in this weather, fair play. They can have, <laughs> <laughs> can have my phone and my wallet. and <laughs> um, See if they can make it home. Yeah. Uh, George, what are you, have you been stuck in the snow today, or did you wisely stay at home? Yeah, so I, I woke up at about half seven this morning, had a shower, um, and as I was, well, just before the shower, I put my phone just like to update the train times, got out the shower, looked at the train times, decided there was absolutely no point me venturing out the house because it was all so messed up. And I just went back to bed for another hour and then uh, cracked on. Yeah, I rather wished I had made that same decision. I walked 10 minutes to the second nearest train station because there are more and quicker trains there. And as I walked down the steps to it, the woman said, you wanting a train? 
And I was like, well, yeah, that's why I'm in the train station. And she said, well, there aren't any. And I was like, right, okay. So anyway, it took me two hours to do a 45-minute commute. It did kind of hammer home the point that if that had happened like five years ago, what happened this morning, I'd have just had to traipse in for like two or three hours rather than just make the very <laughs> sensible decision. I can do exactly what I wanted to do, just sat in my bedroom today. So I'm going to do that instead. So Taxpayer dollar working hard there, ladies and gentlemen. If you're in the UK, well, they got you pay George's salary. If I'd have been traveling three hours, I wouldn't have been bloody working as long as I did today. They could have dealt with it. So they got yeah, a good nine-hour day out of me. Sure thing. Uh, right, let's move on to some actual tennis, shall we? We're going to do our awards today. We're going to go through and have a look back at what's been... And actually, going through this today made me realise that 2022 has been an utterly bonkers year of tennis and non-tennis and just everything. We'll talk about all that and more. And we'll also talk a little bit about Nick Kyrgios. I'm sure we'll talk lots about Nick Kyrgios in all sorts of ways, but he's been talking on Twitter. And maybe this is actually the best place to start because it's the most current um, and it brings in one of our favourite things, which is revamping the ranking system. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, people may have seen on Twitter, I think yesterday his time, or maybe, I, as as regular readers and listeners will know, I do not deal well with time zones, so I can't work out what time it was where Nick Kyrgios currently is, um, especially as I think he might be in Saudi Arabia at the moment. But anyway, uh, he quote retweeted something that showed he was number two in the UTR rating system, which is an alternative ranking system, just behind Novak Djokovic, just ahead of Neil Medvedev. Uh, and he quote retweeted it and said, I've said it before, the current ranking system is based on consistency and how much you play, not skill and form. And then four face palming emojis. Um, if you're interested in, in the UTR ranking, as I say, it's Djokovic, Kyrgios, Medvedev, Orger Aliassime, Nadal, Fritz, Alcaraz, Tsitsipas, Zverev, Rune. That is the top 10 in order. Um, I don't know where to start with this. I, I tell you what, I'll start with what I said in replies on Twitter to him, which I said, consistency is also important in tennis. Skill and form are important, but repeating that over time is consistency and reinforces proof of that skill and form. Uh, George, you're always someone who wants to rewrite the way things are done. Do, do you like <laughs> the current ranking system? Is Nick Kyrgios right? Um, I mean, he's... <laughs> I don't. I, I kind of do like some of the principles of the UTR ranking as a whole. Like I do think it does weight certain matches and certain players and kind of rank that more realistically. Like we've spoken a little bit before, you know. I'm not saying there shouldn't be a blanket ranking system for winning a Grand Slam, but you can win a Grand Slam via a much easier route than other people have won a Grand Slam. You know, we've spoken about Raducanu's who's Grand Slam win, as good as that was, and as hard as it is to do that. You know, the path she went through was, you know, significantly easier than other Grand Slams you'll see based on kind of ranking or pedigree of opponent. Um, so, you know, that happens in tennis all the time, not at Grand Slam level, but every other tournament as well. You know, your ranking is dependent not only on how well you play all year, although that is obviously a big factor, but who you draw over the year. You know, you can have four, four uh, first round matches at ATP. 250 level and draw world number one to five in those four weeks or whatever and it might not go well or you could draw world number 55 every week in those you know and you'd get the same number of points by beating those lot as you would by if you beat you know 
three or four top 10 players to get to the same stage. So I, I kind of, can, I can see the argument around why weighted rankings in that sense is a useful thing. However, I think your point about consistency is important as well. And, you know, it you, you still have to be going out and doing it all the time. And I, I still struggle to see any way around our current ranking system that's significantly better than we've the one we've got at the moment. But maybe there's a happy medium where you get a thousand points for winning a slam and then you can jump it up to 2,000 or 3,000 weighted on who you beat. Who knows? I don't know. Um, well... Just for people who don't know how the UTR... I mean, people know how the current ranking system works, right? It's all the points you've earned from your best... Is it 17 qualifying tournaments uh, over the last 12 months? Am I right? I got that number right, George? 17? That's, is it, well, it might be 18. 19. Yeah, anyway, it's in that in that region. Um, UTR is a bit like what they use in chess um, to calculate your rating in that, what they call ELO rating where it, it is calculated on who you beat, actual performance versus expectation. So if you play someone with a higher UTR, even if you lose, actually, if you lose by less than expected, your UTR goes up. If you play someone with the same UTR as you and you beat them, it will go up. And if you play someone with a lower UTR and you beat them by more than the UTR expected you to, yours will also go up and, and by the same token, if you win by a smaller margin or you lose, then obviously it will go down. Um, I think it's based on your last 30 eligible match scores from the last 12 months. Now, there's quite a reasonable argument that like you're 15, well, maybe you're 17 best and if you're not playing that, but thir- you know, 30 matches over the last 12 months is still like quite a significant period of time. Like, if you're picking and choosing tournaments as Kyrgios says he wants to do, then it's still like probably going to be seven or eight months of tennis. And I don't know how weighted it is towards recency. That the algorithm isn't like fully played out. Um, but to to quote the Universal Tennis's own blog, what's the best way to improve my rating? One, compete well. You can improve your rating by winning more games than expected, or play when you play higher or lower opponents. Play often. The more matches you play, the quicker your rating will reflect your current form. It is also best to play against opponents who are close to your rating. And be patient. Since UTR is a rolling weighted average, the effect of new results is slightly lagged. Your rating may take time to reflect a recent outcome. So, Calvin, it strikes me that Nick Kyrgios wants the ranking system that currently shows him to be the highest ranked that he thinks he is. Yeah, I'd say a couple of things on it, because uh, now he's number two, which means it's going to be difficult for him to... He's number two on the UTR system. It means it's going to be difficult for him to pick up significant... To, to, to go much higher unless he's going to start beating Novak Djokovic regularly. Hmm. Um, and I guarantee you, when he slips down, he'll decide that the UTR is rubbish, and then he'll probably <laughs> go up in the ATP rankings. He'll start saying, now that's the best ranking system. Hmm. Anyway, the problem is that where it's skewed with Kyrgios and where you can't read too much into it, I found the top 10 list quite interesting, actually. But where it's skewed with Kyrgios is that he just he doesn't play on his worst surface. And it doesn't mm. factor that in, so it doesn't mm-hmm. where it would where you would normally balance out on an overall ranking system is you're playing on all the surfaces. He just doesn't play on clay. So mm. if if for example he wouldn't be number two in the world if um, Carlos Alcaraz didn't play on grass, um, or if um, or if Daniel Medvedev didn't play on clay, which he doesn't like, mm. or if Rafa Nadal, to be fair to him, has played a lot of matches this year when he just hasn't been in great shape. He, you know, he's, he, he probably shouldn't have been at the US Open. 
Mm. Um, and that kind of thing. He shouldn't have been at a lot of tournaments, but he went to play them. If the Dalai hadn't played all those tournaments and taken losses to people when he wasn't really, shouldn't really have been playing there, Nadal would probably be number two in the world. So it's just a, a freak occurrence has happened with Kyrgios that has got him there, which the UTR system I'm a big fan of, as I've, as I've said numerous times on here. And it's a system that you can't normally beat, but in a short period of time, he's found a way to beat it purely by a lot of players have played matches. Well, certain players have played matches when they probably shouldn't have. And he just has chose not to play the matches where he's least likely to win. In his defense, I highly doubt he had the forethought to mastermind the uh, beating of the UTR. No, <laughs> no, he, I'm sure he didn't, but he did. He doesn't, he just doesn't play on clay. And mm. and how it works that if he, as, as he's, you know, he's got quite a high UTR as we've seen there. If he played a full clay court season, that would drop significantly because he'd be taking losses to players who the UTR deems are below him. Mm. And he, he wouldn't be winning those matches. He wouldn't be sorry. He wouldn't be winning those matches, so he wouldn't be. It would affect his points negatively. And for somebody who tanks a lot, it, the score lines would become a big issue for him. Yeah. If if he loses, if he loses a tiebreak in the first set, um, then just sacks off the second set totally. He's going to start dropping quick. Not to launch too much of a defense of Kyrgios on this, but I mean, <laughs> on the kind of surface point as a whole, I mean. There's lots of people who are Federer, Nadal, Djokovic fans who would argue, well, you know, Federer's always been disadvantaged. And I suppose you put Kyrgios in this bracket because he doesn't get a long enough amount of the season to play on his favourite surface, which is grass. Whereas Djokovic has always had, you know, eight months of the season to play on hard. And Nadal gets a really long clay season compared to the grass, you know. But then does that skew the rankings at all in terms of like hitting people's favourites, you know? No, because you didn't get Federer going, oh, well, the ATP rankings are crap. You should all be looking at the UTR because that shows that I'm the second best (laughs) player in the world. And and, and they played a whole season. It's not about favourite surfaces or not favourite surfaces. They played a whole season. And that's where you get the best player in the world. You play a whole season and that's where you get it. He hasn't played a whole season. Yeah, I'm not. I'm saying more about people getting advantages in the rankings. Like, have we like damaged, say, the big servers' ability to climb the rankings by not kind probably, of probably, yeah, probably. Because, but I'd you know, say that with out those quick surfaces, I'm just saying there's, there's different ranking implications by things that are wider than just the rankings. If that makes sense. I mean, I'd say with Kyrgios, like it must be close to about forty percent of his matches on UTR are on grass. Yeah, not far off. Was he what he's made played seven at Wimbledon and he played one before that, didn't he? Uh, did he play in Marbella? I think, yeah, he so in seven. Marbella. So he's got he's got so that's what 13 matches he's gonna have. Sorry, uh, 12, 12 of his 30 matches are gonna have been on grass. Hmm. I, I think to kind of move this on a little bit, I wonder, and George, you, you probably the closest man to getting inside Nick Kyrgios's head. Uh, if you'll forgive me that uh, accusation, do you do you think why do you think he's so concerned about the rankings? Is it just an ego thing? Because he he's never concerned about anything else in tennis. He's much more concerned about like well, the NBA power rankings. Well, I think there's a degree of you know he constantly says I'm definitely top five, top ten player in the world. I think he genuinely just has this you know inflated. Well, whether you call it inflated or not, you know, he's obviously incredibly talented and talent-wise probably is top five, top ten in the world. But, you know, 
it's always that question of talent versus hard work for Kyrgios, isn't it? And it's almost mm-hmm. like he doesn't want lesser talented players to be rewarded because they turn up every week and they put the hard graft in, which, you know, probably likes Kyrgios a lot is a bit unfair because that's not how life works. There are, you know, talent is one half of the equation, hard work and graft the other half. And Kyrgios doesn't turn up enough. So I don't really understand how he can sit around complain. I mean, he can complain about the rankings this year based on not getting his Wimbledon points. Don't get me wrong. You know, that's a significant issue. Mm. Um, And that would, that would have him a lot higher in the rankings. I'm not sure that where that would take him probably just outside the top 10 or something. Um, But yeah, I think that can be his only gripe to be honest in terms of the rankings this year. He also doesn't understand that we've covered this before. He doesn't understand that rankings are not supposed to gauge what someone's top level is. Like they're, they're not supposed to gauge what, what a player can do. They're supposed to gauge what a player does do regularly throughout a year. If mm. it was what they can do, right, for about four years before he got injured, Juan Martin Del Potro would have been number one in the world. Because if you took what he can do, if, if he played the best he possibly can all the time, he was better than everybody in that period. But there's no sport in the world where the ranking system do that. There's not one like you know. It's just it's not like a, a football league. It's not like you go, oh well, you know, Man City at top, and then say, say I don't know, Newcastle beat somebody seven nil. You go, oh, they're clearly the best. We'll give them the league title. <laughs> well, that, that, to be fair, the uh, the the boxing rankings run by the corrupt bodies that run boxing well, yeah. are pretty awful. But yeah, yes, it's the only, yeah. only sport that doesn't have a governing body, though, isn't it? Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. And I take I take your point. Um, I suppose it comes back to, and I don't want to get too philosophical about this, but. What are the rankings for? Like, what do we want the rankings to be for, George? Well, I, I, I'd pull it out even further, James, and say, what what do we want the game to be about, and how do we want to take the game forward? And for me, I would love to see the game where we have the best players play each other. Calvin's response to that question <laughs> is to take his headphones off and walk across the room. <laughs> that was unbelievable. I mean, I think I think his laptop is running out of charge, but that's yeah, yeah, the, my favourite reaction to George, like opening up a can of worms that I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, we just, you just, Calvin, you just missed us finding it very funny that George said, what do we want tennis to be about? And oh, you I heard instantly that. Just I heard walked, that, yeah. yeah, but then you just walked <laughs> away. You just walked right. off. You were done. Calvin wants tennis to be about short and sweet. I mean, I tell, I tell you what, George, I, it's an interesting question, right? Because I kind of had this thought process a little bit today because of something else I was covering, um, which is this snooker thing. You, people may have seen seven snooker players have been suspended for match fixing. Um, Yan Bingtao, the world number 16, being the most high profile, which is pretty significant. And it, it, you know, I've been thinking a lot about gambling lately and what sport is for, what's the point. Um, pickleball is pickleball's creating a global tour. And I was like, why? It's a terrible sport to watch. Like, why would you not just have people play it and make it one of those sports that isn't really professional it's just really popular and i suppose we want people to like watching the sport so that they want to play it so that they lead a healthier and more enriched lifestyle i think that's what i mean that's what i think i want tennis to be i want it to be something that people want to be involved in and in order for that to work it needs to be accessible so i think the ranking system needs to be accessible well, I yeah, think like, I agree. Go on, sorry, George, you go first. So I was just going to say, I mean, I, I suppose the, po- the point I was going to make before Calvin kind of ran off was in terms <laughs> of like, if I were to kind of critique tennis at the minute as like, and I mean very top level professionalism and what's not happening enough 
uh it is this kind of big build-up of people and big matches and being able to preview big matches and kind of having more time where you can prepare to be like oh crap two weeks till nadal's playing Djokovic to end the year as the world's best player do you know what i mean like i think tennis lacks a significantly good storyline sometimes outside of the grand slams which yeah. are by themselves their own social events so if you're asking me what the rankings could serve a purpose for it would be you know probably a more for forced way of having like a league table or something i've, I've spoken about this before i kind of would love the idea of there being a proper top 10 league table where they have to play a league match every month or something and you can pick the fixtures out throughout the year or something you know that's the sort of thing i would quite like to see where you then have this longer ability to build up to a fixture rather than a tournament mm. um i think there's a lot there's so many arguments around the number of tournaments and how many people are playing and you know the actual ecosystem of tennis like if you reduce tournaments you reduce the number of people you can actually give money to and get a job to and give the opportunity to succeed in tennis so it's not like a simple thing i just think there's a little bit more creative stuff that could be done at the very top of the game for the very very elite i mean the top 10 where you just come up with some sort of fun system that allows you that kind of big name presence grows a few more profiles get a few more people looking at the sport like god i want to be like so and so and i think that sort of approach might become more prevalent in this next era where it's not necessarily as obvious where those mega stars are going to come from, both from a kind of consistency and a uh, marketing perspective. I, I think, I mean, one of the reasons what, what the rankings for they're to determine who gets in the tournaments. Mm. Like you can't, you know, there, there's that, that's the most straightforward one. And also, I do think there's a bit of a story. You know, I get asked a lot of the time by my mates who don't follow tennis. You know, we'll talk about something, then they go, oh, "What ranking is he?" Then, you know, people like to know. You know, when they're often surprised that what, you know, a lot of people were surprised that Federer wasn't in the top 10. You know, they still see him has been in that. And you go, yeah. oh, he's not in the top 10 because he hasn't played and there are 10 better players than him. And you're right. Like every time there is a match, any tournament, the rankings a big part of the conversation. You know, if the world number 100 beats the world number one, that, that that's the story in itself, isn't it? So that, that number does play yeah. a role. Um, Yeah. I don't know. There's so but many sport, things. But you, you, you have the reason you have to have a ranking, right? Sport is the last thing that we have in life that is a pure meritocracy. If you get, if you, the the players who are the best will become the, the number that you'll be. Yeah, I'm getting my tongue tied here. You will get to if you're the best player in the world, you will get to world number one. That and or if you're the best team in the world, you'll be the best. You'll be you'll win whatever it is. That if is your sport thing. is a true meritocracy, there are, I would argue there are a few that aren't. No, but sports. Should I say that wrong? Sorry, James. Sports should be the last meritocracy yeah. that we have, mm. and, and and many sports. And I'd say tennis is. Tennis is a, the, the last merit. Tennis is a true meritocracy. You will yeah, always I'd, reach your potential in tennis. I'd probably caveat it within once you're in the right ecosystem. So getting into the system in the first place is a big challenge. Like if you're I mean, born they... in the wrong country, for example. Oh, or I mean, yeah, right at those know, that, sort of like. Of, Super, yeah, super how, granular yeah. level, but if you're, or if you can't if you, afford to play and fund it, you're not from the right as association. I say many times, you know, it's like if they can't afford to play stuff, and I, there's nobody who, who argues that kind of thing more than me. But if you're, if you're as good, if you're that good, there was somebody will find you that will give you some money to do it. If you, if you display all of the traits that you need to to be a professional player. Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? Because like. 
I mean, Calvin, you may, you may have seen some examples of, 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 although from your point of view, I suspect you haven't, of players who had that, you know, talent and not been able to fulfil it. But I think very rarely opportunity, opportun- you know, the opportunity to play the game, as you say, George, maybe isn't always there. But as you say, once you get to a certain level. I've, I've seen it, yeah. And at the times, you know, I've been frustrated. I coached a player who was phenomenally talented and from a very poor background. And I got frustrated at the time that we didn't have the money to send in places. But then as I, you know, as time went on, I realized he's not really doing everything he should be to do that. Mm. He's not really putting the effort in that he should do to do that. And if he would have done that, then I think somebody would have stepped up and given him some money. But other than other than talent, people need to show some more. And I've been the opposite side. You look at Paul Jubb, who had no money, like, you know, t- t- a tragic story. But he worked and he worked and he worked and, and somebody, you know, whether it be LTA helped him out and then a college helped him out and he got there in the end. You know, if if that shows that tennis is really a meritocracy in that situation, that if you if you're good enough and you're willing to put the work in, there is a route for you anywhere. Hmm. Big, big questions, big conversations. Uh, I like it when we this went beyond the, the UTR a little bit, didn't it? <laughs> no, but this, this is this is my point. In that, this is what winds me up, I guess, about Nick Kyrgios. That tennis, as we say, sport should be a meritocracy, and he's almost suggesting he doesn't want it to be. That he should decide who the who the world number one is, and you know, he should decide. We should just what what is his view that we should just go on opinion? Somebody mm. just decides. That's how it used to work. To be fair, in like. The NCAA with the with the college football, basically teams would just play a load of what were essentially friendly matches. And then at the end of the year, a committee would decide who the NCAA champions were. And that's how it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Um, let's move on. We're going to do our awards, I think, in the second half. Uh, we've got some good emails this week that I wanted to read out um, and put to you two. Uh, we've had an email from Mark, who calls himself Dr. Handsome. Uh, from sunny Darwin in Australia. Loving the pod more and more with each listen. Calvin's soft voice soothes my sweaty Darwin-weathered ears each time I listen to his wonderful inserts. Keep up the good work, lad. Tell you what, if you ever go to Darwin, Calvin, I think you've got somewhere to stay. Um, Question for you all. What has caused Steph Sitsipas to be so disliked? And actually, I had someone um, DMing me this exact question. Uh, Liam Filer, who I know is a listener as well, was DMing me about this one. Um, every platform I listen to or read on read is hating on him. I assume his 1970s hairstyle has something to contribute to it. Um, <laughs> I'm a big fat, a big Fed fan, so that 2019 Australian Open defeat still burns me. So I'm not a fan. Um, I mean, I think we all understand that Stefan Tsitsipas is not super social, super well liked. Um, George, do you want to take a punt at why? I mean, I, I wouldn't say I dislike Sissipas, to be honest. I think he's a, a different guy. I mean, are we talking disliked on the tour or disliked publicly? Or I mean, I think probably public perception. Probably. I mean, it, he, he could pick a fight with a, a wall, couldn't he? That mm. doesn't really help his occasion. His, you know, and there's been some things around gamesmanship, but there are plenty of people who seem to lap up his terrible tweets that he's clearly just copying I don't know about plenty I don't know about plenty like (laughs) like all high profile people like he has fans of course he does and they are vocal but he surely there are you know a lot more people who are like 
oh, I quite like Novak Djokovic. Uh, sort of nonplussed about almost everyone else, but that Stefan Tsitsipas guy, he's a weirdo. That, that's what it is for me. I think it's because people think he's a weirdo and they can't relate to him. And he, you know, he he does come across as a bit of a brat sometimes and like falling out with his dad and falling out with his mum. Like... I think he was actually quite popular when he started though. And this is the funny thing. I think I don't think it's been like a, there's naturally something you dislike about Sister the Past. I think it's grown as people have got to know him more, if that makes sense. Like I, I think when he was first playing, like he played quite a fun brand of tennis. People seem to be quite excited by him. And there was less of this, what I'd describe as nonsense, aware that I quite enjoy the nonsense as a kind of uh, mm. Machiavellian spirit. Um, you know, he, I, I think people are going to dislike him more and more because he's, he's A, not fulfilling his potential, which I think does just bother some people naturally when they want the sport. Where it's like, well, why are you focusing on all this nonsense when you're not actually improving your game, if that makes sense? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't think he. I, I always still think view him as fairly harmless in the view of people. Like, I don't think he's like someone people should really, really hate. In my opinion, uh, the uh, the Douglas Adams verdict on that one mostly harmless. Um, Calvin, people have heard your views on Stefan Sisbas quite a lot, so I'm going to ask you a second question again from uh, Mark. Your ceremony, Mark. Mark from Mark. Your ceremony. Uh, Darwin's premier and most handsome marriage celebrant. Uh, from Down Under, Dr. Handsome says, will Rude actually ever win a slam, or has he just been filling the hole as a moderately good player whilst the big boys have been preoccupied? What's his weapon? I can't see one. What do you think, Calvin? Um, again, I, I, it's one of those where I wouldn't say definitely he's not going to win a slam. Uh, if you were to ask me where my money is now, I'd probably say probably most likely not. Hmm. But... Um, it wouldn't surprise me if he does because in strange things happen in slams yeah. over the course of two weeks. And, you know, if, if you only need one where, say, Alcaraz is injured, Djokovic doesn't play it, or as another his brain melts when he whacks a ball at an umpire or something. And then who would you say is the favourite? You know, you then basically got seven or eight names in a bag and go, well, one of those is going to win it. And he's as much chance as any of those, I think. But I think he's going to, you know, I think next year would be when he's probably going to have to do it because I think after that, you're into an era where Alcaraz will be really stepping up. I think Felix is going to move now, I would think. Um, Sinner will get better. Uh, Medvedev, you would think he's going to come back to some sort of form. Um, so I think, you know, next year if he's going to... And, and also Rude is, is probably playing the best he's going to play right now. Yeah, just just to kind of build on that point, I mean, if you look at Rude at this US Open final, it was, okay, Alcaraz is someone we think is really, really going to be number one and dominant. It was pretty possible from Alcaraz's previous matches that he wasn't going to get there. It could easily have been Francis Tiafo or Yannick Sinner in the final. And you know, I'm. I think they're both as good as Kasparud, but I wouldn't say I wouldn't have been sat there perfectly saying Kasparud definitely can't win that match as a kind of one-off against inexperienced players who, you know, haven't had that same experience. So you know, you there are going to be draws in the next two years where they open up and they go mad because Nadal won't be fit enough and Djokovic will be banned and well, hopefully not. Hopefully that's just all sorted <laughs> and we can brush that incident under the rug, but. You know, as Calvin says, 
Alcaraz is the one, but you've heard my views about next year. I'm not convinced he's going to win a slam next year. So, And that's the unfiltered view you're going to get from me today. <laughs> George is trailing something there, which I can't <laughs> tell you about yet. But there's a little Easter egg. If you're still listening, you know, just at the end of the first half, think about what George has just said and remember that I warned you in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, after the break, we're going to be talking our awards. We'll be looking at the ATP and the WTA and we'll also be thinking about our match of the year and our biggest disappointment too. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back to the Love Tennis Podcast with uh, me, James Gray, and Calvin Beton and George Belshaw. Who else? Can't believe I nearly forgot everyone's names there. Um, <laughs> I'll blame it on it being late at night and very cold. Um, we're going to do our awards for the season. The eight, the WTA just today, I think, announced all their winners. I think the ATP winners are not yet out, George. I'm not quite sure. But it doesn't matter because we're going to do the uh, the Love Tennis Podcast Awards. And that's much more important to most of these nominees, I know for sure. Um, we're going to do across the two tours. Player of the Year, Most Improved, Newcomer, Comeback, Coach, which are, of course, the official categories. And we're also going to do two of our own Match of the Year and biggest disappointment, and that's a very broad category. Probably the one we're going to talk about the most. We're almost certainly going to rattle through this faster than we would ever like to, but uh, that is the nature of the beast. We're going to start with a big one. It's player of the year, and we'll start with the WTA. Um, We've got a group of randomly assigned nominees. Uh, There isn't uh, any rhyme or reason to exactly how many nominees we have for each award. It's really just, um, well, like I said, it's random. It's important to be random. Uh, Stopped kidnappers catching up with you. Uh, Igor Shrontek, Ons Jabor, Coco Goff, Jessica Pagula, 
Elena Rybakina and Caroline Garcia are our nominees for Player of the Year. Uh, I I think we might try and talk around this and then just end up agreeing on one answer, but <coughs> we might as well try. George, I think you should have to make a case for anyone but Igor Shontek. I I knew that was going to be your question. I knew I was going <laughs> to really struggle. Uh I mean, there really isn't an obvious. There is not there. a case. There's not a case. I mean, like if you look at the Slam winners this year, there was Fiontek, Rubakina. Who won the other one? Ashley Barty. Ashley Barty. Oh crikey! Yeah, I was like, oh my god, what? Where's the other Slam winner on this list? Is she retired? Okay, yeah. Um, I, I guess the only other case you can make is Ons Jabeur, right? Because she made two. But even slam then, finals. I mean, yeah, but like. <laughs> I feel like you could make a case for more for well, I don't know, make a case more for a slam. But no one's won more titles than her. There's really no category I'm looking at where I'm thinking it shouldn't be Sviontek, which isn't the case on the men's side, by the way. There's definitely more interesting mm. categories in that one. But th- this is so clear. I, I, I'm not, I'm not even sure I can come up with a faux argument for this because she has been the best, won the most slams, won the most tournaments. I imagine. Um, yeah. She is definitely the best this year, unfortunately. Uh, just to rattle through some of the Igor Shontek's uh, stats this year, she has won a total of eight titles. That's eight out of 17 tournaments that she entered, which is a hit rate of, well, just under 50%, as you can imagine. Uh, her total win-loss was 67-9. and nine. That's 88% uh, win percentage. Uh, she won four of the WTA 1000 tournaments, two Grand Slams, as you mentioned. She did lose in the semi-finals of WTA finals, which might be the only blot on her copy. But I mean, Calvin, have you have you got even a any anything for me? No, nah, she's you can't go with anyone else. It'd just be, it'd be silly, wouldn't it? You you know, no, nah, she's by by miles. She's as close to dominating as you can get without you would say absolutely dominating the women's game. Without actively being Steffi Graf. Yeah, you know, you can't say that she absolutely dominated because she only won two out of the four slams and, you know, there was the odd tournament that she didn't win, but yeah, it was it was close to it. Just just a stat you left out there, James, that kind of I'd almost forgotten about before reading it earlier because it feels so long ago, but she had a 37-match win streak this year. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty mental, like, in mm. terms of length. It's, you don't get too many longer than that. So, yeah, only one winner here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'd i be amazed if anyone gives WTA Player of the Year to anyone but Igor Shrontek. Well-deserved, um, and I think I'll come on to this in bigger disappointment. It's Shrontek-related. People can maybe guess what I'm going to come up with. Uh, ATP Player of the Year, four nominees here. We've got uh, Carlos Alcaraz, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, and Kasper Ruud. Uh, we've obviously got all the Grand Slam winners there, and all the Grand Slam finalists bar two as well, actually. Um, Calvin, I mean, the obvious choice is, is to say Rafa Nadal with two Grand Slam victories, but there's plenty of case to be made elsewhere, I'm sure. Yeah, I think because he won, if you take those two Grand Slam victories, he didn't do a great deal else. Mm. And that's the, uh, that that I would say is why I don't think for me it's Nadal. Mm. Um, I think it was, if I look back in five years time and think who 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 stood out this year it'd be Alcaraz I think I think it was his year mm. um and I can't yeah Djokovic you know you could still argue is the best player but in terms of whose year it was like I said I'm going for Alcaraz um George 
I suspect you're going to disagree, which is exactly what we like to hear. I'm pretty torn on all three, to be honest. I, I'm not discounting Rafa. I thought it was brilliant first half of the year. And, you know, when we talk about looking back on years, quite often I look back on years just at who won the slams that year. And so winning two slams for me is a very, very significant achievement. And, you know, he's won half of the biggest events. And I think at this stage in his career, you know, that's all you can really ask for. And let's not forget he reached the semis of Wimbledon where he got hit by injury again. Um... So he, I think he's had a very good year. Novak, I think there's an argument again. I think he's had a f fantastic year in what he's been allowed to play. Probably the most consistent player of the year within what he's been able to play. Um, the, Alcaraz, I, I'm probably having a bit of recency bias against him, which I'm. We can uh, all be guilty of because US he's not been so good since the US Open. So that you know that's harsh because you know there's been other people who've had bad spells as well. Um, he he was phenomenal for the first six months of the year. I have been a bit harsh. I might question his slam record a little bit if I was saying this is the best player of the year. Out third round Australia was it? Lost fourth at the French. Lost early-ish at Wimbledon. So he's won one slam. He's got world number one, but there's big caveats there in terms of the other guys. So, yeah, I think there's cases for all. I, I probably will actually controversially go for Nadal because I think I would look back on the most slam wins in this particular isolated year. I think it goes Nadal, Novak, Alcaraz for me. But if it's you ask me who's the best player, it'd be Novak, Alcaraz, Rafa. So there's some confusing rankings for you. I think for me, I've just had a little bit more thought about it and why I think it's Alcaraz. It's that I don't think there's anything between those three, and I'm going to have Alcaraz just because he played more. He was around more. Um, but I, I think feel that's like you're hoping Nick Kyrgios is listening and being like, no, but it I doesn't count if you play more. <laughs> <laughs> no, because I think that, you know, I think that, for example, I know that like with like with the NBA, when they do their most valuable player voting, the players have to have played for three quarters of the matches. And I think that's that, you know, and I think it, it's, that's a good way to look at it, I think. I don't think you can be player of the year if you only really played 50% of the year. Mm. Yeah, and in the end, yeah, yeah, you're actually right. Like, the clues in the name, right? Like, player of the year. It's not who had the best second yeah. half of the year. Like, you're trying to take the whole year into account, George. Can I just say as well that as far as I, I I'm well, I don't think I saw it if it was there, but I'm pretty sure this isn't actually a category in the ATP awards because they just give it to whoever's world number one, whereas the WTA actually run it as a separate award. I see. So that's, you know, just another thing to kind of I'm throw also, um, I also want to pull George up on saying that Alcaraz had a great six months of the year. He won his slam in the ninth month. No, no, no. <laughs> but I think his form was better in the first six months of the year. Yeah. I think he won the US Open when he wasn't playing as well as he had. Yeah. He still played pretty well. But like, yeah, he went on that run matches. in Miami and Madrid, like that was yeah. just insane. The clay was unreal, like yeah. as well. He yeah, played yeah. some great stuff before the French. Yeah, um, and also Sinner, Sinner should have beaten the U.S. Open. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, yeah, he had like three, four, five set matches in that, yeah, in that yeah. tournament that where he, he could easily have lost mm. several of them. Yeah. yeah, it's not fun if you don't get a five though. It's for no, way more. It's true. So, so what we've got here is a vote for Alcaraz from Calvin, a vote for Nadal from George. Um, which leaves me with some power. Uh, Novak Djokovic. Novak. Only... It's a split. I think it is a three-way tie. I so... think it is. And I, I know that Djokovic has only lost seven matches this year. Like, okay, he's only played 49, but 
like <clears throat> that is still a pretty high win percentage. 86% is pretty good. And I think that will be better than, it's certainly better than Alcaraz's and it is better than Nadal's as well. So I'll tell you what, I'll make it a three-way tie and we'll put it to the listeners. That's the only way we can solve these things. I mean, I don't say the listeners know everything. I know you guys know loads, um, probably more than us on most things, but I'm going to put it to the listeners. You'll have to leave leave the fourth option for anyone brave enough to make the case for Casper Ruud. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I made a case for Casper Ruud being much better than I thought he was the other week, but I can't make it for the whole player of the year. Uh, let's move on to most improved, where you could arguably put Casper Ruud. Um, but we'll start with the WCA, where we've got five nominations. Uh, Veronica Kudamatova, Beatrice Haddad Meyer, uh, Ekaterina Alexandrova, Lyudmila Samsonova, and Ayla Tomljanovic. Uh, George, you can start this time. Can I I'd just clarify something as well so we're all on the same page on this okay. as the person who pulled these nominations together. I probably should have said this earlier, but the lists that I've given for these two are the nominations that the ATP and WGA put forward and their criteria is someone who finished inside the top 100 and showed significant improvement throughout the season. And when you say finished inside the top 100, they could have finished inside the top 100 the previous year? Yeah, so, so the, the newcomer new is about new into the right, top 100 okay. so you can just pick someone you thought was really improved and i i was considering going outside of this on the men's one i'm going to take someone within the women's one i think i'm going to go for Haddad Maya on this i thought while she maybe didn't quite do it at the slams she had some seriously good tennis over the summer um won a load of titles had a really good win streak um and that was someone who i wasn't expecting to make that step up this year mm. so i think in a year where i was disappointed by a lot of the very best players beyond tech aside um she definitely deserves a place in the conversation so i'm going to take her calvin from that that list of five have you got give, a... give me the list just give me the list again because i forgot one of them it could have over had admire alexandrova samsonova tom yanovich Uh, listener Calvin has puffed his cheeks out. Uh, you, you, your sixth option is you can pick someone else you think is more dramatically improved than any of those, <laughs> if you like. Because, well, I mean, look, there I, is a case that you could say Sfiontic. I was just going to say that. I was going to say that. I was just going to say that. To go from, you know, last year she was somebody who was in the mix with a fair few others to dominating the game or as close to it as we can, as we just discussed. That's... That's more of an improvement for me than any of the ones who we've just listed. Do you think, yeah, they got a little bit better? Um, I, I'm going to say that's uh, Uh Classic Calvin there going off script as much as you possibly can by picking something <laughs> outside the nominations. By picking the most improved player. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am also going to go a bit left field, albeit I am going to pick someone nominated. Well, it, this is one of those things where it's a little bit sort of heart overhead in that I've seen Isla Tomjanovic play a lot of really good matches this year. And I think she has added something. I mean, she's always had that, like people call her a really strong competitor. Like I think she's always had that. But I've watched matches that she's played and like her rally tolerance and her kind of tolerance for the big moment is really, really admirable. Um I mean, you look at her run at Wimbledon when she got to the quarters and she lost, having been a set-up to her back and she lost. But in that run, she beat 
Jill Teichman, who is no slouch. She beat Barbara Krachikova and Elise Corne, both of which were from a set down. Like, I think she's quite different from the rest of the group. Not not the, all of the rest of them, but I think she plays tennis. She's got brilliant rally tolerance. Fit, so physical. Brilliant fitness. And incredible calmness in, in really big moments. Like, that Serena Williams match is, without a doubt, the most insane tennis atmosphere I've ever been in. Like, the US Open is a tough place to be at the best of times. But... Serena Williams, Saturday night, like third set. You've just lost the tiebreak to go to a third, and the whole of Arthur Ashe is begging for you to bugger off. And she just brought it, and she absolutely owned that la- that final set. Um, so I guess I don't know whether I would have thought Isla Tomljanovic could have done that a year ago, and therefore I have to consider it a most improved kind of criteria i mean i appreciate that you know she's not necessarily going to have made as such a big jump in the rankings as as other people might have done but i do think she's earned it through the kind of timbre of those performances to borrow a term from musicality so again we can put it to the listeners um now that we have three nominations from our long list that have turned into a short list um, and I've no doubt that they will disagree with me very, very highly on Tom Anvich, but that's um, that's what I'm going with. Uh, on to the ATP most improved. Uh, four-man shortlist here. Carlos Alcaraz again. Maxime Cressy, Jack Draper and Holger Rune. I mean, all very strong cases. Uh, who, who wants to jump in? Calvin, I, I think I started with George last time, so you can go. Uh, I'm down to, you know... Alcaraz, I would say, yeah, you know, he's gone from somebody who wasn't wasn't competing at slams really to winning one. Um, Draper, you could say, just purely on ranking jump, definitely. Rune, begrudgingly because I don't like him, <laughs> but... <laughs> I might have to say Rune mm. if I'm honest, because he's improved more than I thought he would. Yeah, um, it's the Runa, UTR thing of it expected. Like it's the level that we yeah. thought they would be anyway, and yeah. then how they've exceeded that. Yeah, I'd, I'll say Rune. To be fair, just mm. above Draper, I'll say Rune. Um, You're going to get uh, an agreement from George on that one. Uh, I I actually was going to go for Alcaraz on this one. Um, on I just grounds? think on the grounds that I think when we talk about jumping in the rankings in every stage, like this guy's gone from outside the top 30 to world number one. And I always say like, it's easier to make that jump a lot further back than up. Like I think he's jumped through about six very significant stages this year. And I know there's been other factors around it, but his level's also been absolutely phenomenal. It's always been good, but some of the levels he hit this year were really amazing so to win a slam become world number one from that position of you know barely seeded from a slam uh i think it's like a really really tough gradient to climb and mm. one he's done really well on uh i'm gonna make calvin very unhappy and agree with him well he's gonna be torn because i'm agreeing with him but also giving Holgerun <laughs> the love tennis uh <laughs> award i mean there's a few stats that i looked at on the train home actually because it was just kind of the last thing i looked at and that sort of summed it up for me 
Before this season, Holger Rune had never won a match at a Masters. And he obviously ended the year by winning a Masters. Um, he'd never won a match at a main draw of a Grand Slam. And he obviously made it to the quarterfinals of, of the French and gave Kasparud a pretty good go. Uh, and he was 103 this time last year. And he's now 11. I'd say... As well on Draper, and this is not this is the opposite of a criticism of him. That I'm not sure how much he's improved in the last year because exactly a year ago from this week or next week, uh, myself and Luke, who I coach, did pre-season with Jack. Did about three or four days with him, and he was awesome. Like then, <laughs> I remember Jack hit a serve, and I was stood on the side netting, on the ad side. I'm sort of paint the picture for for the listeners. I was stood on the netting on the ad side, and Jack hit a wide serve that crossed me above my shoulder height and to break a sideline on the side on the on the ad court and still have it rising so much that you can get it over the shoulder of a six foot tall man is some serve so yeah. it's as it he's been amazing this year but he already was mm. a year ago so yeah that's why how, I much, it to how much improvement is that really yeah um, it's, Poor Holgeroon. We're basically saying he was just crap a year ago. Which also a bit, a bit <laughs> no, of a I'm not that, but, Yeah, I'm not saying that. But look, if you go in the space, anybody who goes in the space in a year from outside the top 100 to is he in the top 10. He's 11. Yeah, then that's that. You can't. The more I think about, it, you can't argue it is it, it, it is him. Yeah. Congratulations, Holgeroon. I know lots of people close to Holgeroon listen, so congratulations to everyone, Holgeroon uh, especially. Um, Let's move on to WTA Newcomer, uh, where we've got, uh, again, six women on this one. Uh, Tseng Fruvatova, I'm assuming that's Linda Fruvatova, rather than, yeah, because Brenda's not that highly ranked yet. Uh, Jewel Niemeyer, Maya Sharif, Harriet Dart, and Pagosi. So, um, do you want the definition for this one? This oh, is yeah, player... should do. So this is someone who was outside the top 100 and is now? So in... it's a player who made their top 100 debut and or notable accomplishments during the season. Is that because one of them didn't make their top 100 debut or something, or is it just, just written weirdly? I'm So the one who's in there, I'm wondering if Nehemiah might have been already. I don't know. Well, or or did Sharif, Sharif, she maybe came back in? Yeah, she, um, Sharif yeah, okay. had come back in. There you go. There you go. That explains that. Um, who have you got, George? Um, I was going to take our British slant on this and go for Harriet Dart because um, I can't believe some of the wins she's had this year given her limitations. And I think that speaks absolute volumes to how hard she's worked. Dart, to be honest, should not be able to reach like the fourth round of Indian Wells. She mm. shouldn't. It's a real achievement. She's made the top 100. And it's an amazing achievement to be beating top 10 players at Grand Slams at the US Open um, to back up three or four other top 20 wins this year. Um, I think she's done incredibly well. And I, I think that's that's been a theme of her every year that I've been surprised by something she's done. Not many players keep surprising me. Um, and I think she's, yeah, while I think there's still massive holes in the game, the improvement to get to the level she's got to this year compared to last has been great and the results are there to show for it so well done to her uh i'm gonna go again it's probably a little bit of just like uh, what's the availability heuristic where like i've seen her play quite a bit this year and been very impressed just in the flesh and that's and i apologize as i always do especially with chinese names um saying i think it's, it's harriet Sh- dart 
No. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tseng Shin Wen. I think that's how it's pronounced. I'm going to try and work on these when I get the chance to do so. Um, yeah, she's just... I mean, she, she's just been great. And she's had career best results at all the Grand Slams. She's won matches at each of the Grand Slams. She got to the quarterfinal in Canada as well. Um, I think she's just good to watch. And, like, Chinese tennis is... It's kind of amazing. Chinese tennis has had its worst ever year in terms of events hosted because they haven't hosted any. And yet it's probably... I mean, it has had its best ever year in terms of players. You know, they've now got, I think, two players inside the top 100 in the men's game, which they've never had even one before. Um, they've obviously got quite a few girls. Um, Xi, uh, Wang Shiyu, Wang Xinyu, Tseng as well, um, you know, breaking into the top 50. Uh, and I just... I think it's quite an interesting story and I think she's been a real leader and I also loved when she talked about how she lost a match because she had really bad period pains and like it takes a huge amount of like bravery to do that especially coming you know she obviously was born and raised in China where I think things like that are even more taboo um, and it is quite a male dominated society and you wouldn't talk about that stuff publicly so you know, I always try and take off-court stuff into account, and I thought that was really impressive. And yeah, I think she's—I think she's a great player. And you know, there's going to be a lot of good Chinese players flying around in the next five years. And I think, don't know if she's the best one, but she might well end up being that. So that's my my choice. Calvin Seng, Fritova, Nimaya, Sharif, Dart, Pigosi. Where are you going to go? Uh, I was going to take Seng as well. Um, mm. Again, probably similar along the lines. I've not seen a load of some of those players and I've seen a few matches of hers and I've always been impressed I think yeah I think we'll see her go a, a bit higher next year as well mm. you lot are ganging up on me today <laughs> my side for anything. Uh, I'll try and get behind you uh... I guess it's in, in fairness like it's hard for me to see Harriet Dar as a newcomer yes yeah. you know I guess in the line of work no, that I'm working you know oh, is that what it's called yeah mm. yeah I suppose it's called newcomer fair, fair point uh, right, ATP newcomer. Where it's also going to be hard for Calvin to pick Jack Draper um, because he's he's not remotely new. But I assume it's the same definition: someone getting into the top 100 for the first time. George, um, yeah, I think the WTA, sorry, the ATP haven't caveated it, so it's just they've gone purely for top 100 first time in 2022 and then made the biggest impact on the tour. Right. Okay. Um, the nominations are Jack Draper, Yuri Hetcher, Ben Shelton. Um, Chun Sin Seng uh, and Holger Rune who we've already talked about I realise I haven't made myself go first uh, at any point but I, I'm quite happy to go first this time because I'm pretty convinced that the answer here is Jack Draper um, because yes we've all known about him and known that he has the ability to do this stuff but he's gone and done it on a really big stage multiple times and massively impressed and I think he is an absolutely worthy player wherever I mean where is he even ranked now he's something like 39 or something in the world I think he is 42 there you go um and I think he's absolutely worthy of that like he he complete if you look at the guys around him Emil Rusevori, John Isner, Sebastian Baez and Arthur Rindeknecht they're the guys ranked around him you absolutely say he belongs to that company and you'd actually expect him to beat quite a few of those you'd be surprised if he loses in certain circumstances so yeah i i kind of have to go for him 
I think he's going to be top 20 by this time next year, if not better. So, uh, Calvin, when are you going next? Yeah, it's it's Draper for sure. There's there's no question about that. Um, just George is shaking his head there. George, who you got? What have you got in your locker here? Well, I think I think Holgerun wins this one as a player who's never been no, in the top can't, 100 can't, before, can't making the him, biggest impact. Can't give him two. Can't pick no, but, twice. No, but the thing but is, I was pet. booting him down the list because Alcaraz was the most improved. No, you can go. You can say that he's. I, I'd argue again that he's not newcomer because I'm not listening to those. You know the wording of it, but he was around <laughs> the top 100. Like Jack was nowhere near the top 100. He was like outside the top 200 this time last year. You can't have say newcomers anybody who's who started the year in the top 100. He was like 101 a year ago. Like <laughs> it's barely out of it. Like you can't. I'm not not even qualifying Rune for that because he was there or thereabouts <laughs> at the time. Well, All right. I'll pick Rune because he was qualified and has had an amazing season as, on his top 100 debut. So I'll, I'll pick him under the, the seriousness of the definitions. But I also wanted to say Draper's been awesome. So I'm not, not upset you've gone for him. <laughs> okay, very good. Um, let's move on to comebacks. Uh, loads of great stories here, of course. Um, to, to, t- tough one, I think particularly the WTA, because they're, they're all great stories. I think all deserve their own sort of moment in the limelight. But um, Daria Saville, uh, Tatiana Maria, Serena Williams, ever heard of her, and uh, Donna Vekic are the four that are up for uh, comeback. George, who have you gone for? Uh, really torn on this one. I think they're all quite a good story isn't it? I'm actually going to rule, rule Serena out because I don't think her comeback was that good so that's, <laughs> yeah, I think, that's my I think that might be an engagement pick <laughs> like, the WTA I... social team to be honest yeah I think Serena will probably win this but her comeback wasn't that great mm. and I'm not entirely sure what she was coming back from this year beyond just like not being asked to play and retiring <laughs> so like do you know what I mean like <laughs> so she's out um I think, you know, there's a, ca- a bit of a case for Vekic. You know, she had a, that knee injury that kept her out for three months. She dropped out to under as you come back in, doing well. But I'm probably going to go for Tatiana Maria, I think. Um, just, I really like her story. Someone who's, you know, gone away. What is her story? For people who second... don't know it. So she, you know, went away from the sport again for the summer of 2020 to 2021. Gave birth to a second child. Um, she won the title in Bogota, um, coming through as a qualifier to win her second career title and first since 2018. And then, of course, reached the semifinals of Wimbledon. Like, that's a pretty cool story. And mm. yeah, I don't think she's been perfect all year, but if we're talking about a comeback from, you know, yeah, to do something you'd only done once before and then to reach a Grand Slam semi final, that's a pretty cool story to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I find it hard to disagree with that, actually. Um, I'm quite annoyed you picked her because I now have to agree with you for the first time this evening. Um, like, it... well, Calvin can take Serena and But yeah, no, I mean, seriously, we talk a lot about how childbirth is the biggest physical challenge that any athlete will ever have to go through and only 50% of athletes have to do it um, to, to come back from that and get back to a level and in her case, go beyond a level is... And she's 35 years old, by the way, like she's, you know, which is not mm. young in tennis terms. And she's got two kids under her belt, which 
she travels on tour with and i think her husband is her coach and they're just a great family unit it's such fun i remember seeing them like you know pushing a pram around at wimbledon and stuff and it it's pretty cool and like you know i'm not a woman so i can't say she's a role model but it's cool for i would imagine for people who think or worry that having kids ends your career tatiana maria does not agree calvin uh i'll make it unanimous yeah i think it's a uh... Excellent and brief. Which Couldn't let good. me have a win, could you, Calvin? Couldn't <laughs> let me have a win. Uh, right, ATP comeback. Borna Chorich, Dominic Team, Stan Vavrinka, and with apologies for pronunciation, Wu Yi Bing. I believe Jerry, uh, they call him in Florida where he trains, so um, I might stick with that. Uh, Andrew George is picking here. <laughs> I'm actually going to surprise you and not pick him. Oh, right. as, as good as his comeback's been, I'm I'm gonna go for Chorich actually. Okay. He, his comeback was so cool. Like he just basically been absolutely cropped and then just goes and wins. Was it Cincinnati or straight out of nowhere? Or was it Toronto? I can't remember it was now. I think it was Cincinnati. Um just bombed through and had some incredible wins, winning a masters title, first masters. Um that's pretty cool comeback mm. story for a guy who's had a lot of injury problems. And it was a good Cincinnati as well. He beat Nadal, Felix and Stefanos. Like it wasn't yeah. it wasn't one of those yeah, yeah. it wasn't it wasn't the Jackson no, Paris he Masters. Just beat them. Yeah. Calvin? Yeah, I think it's courage as well. Mm. Um yeah, I don't think again, I think that's a pretty easy one. But some good ones, you know. Teams actually, especially in the later part of the year, he's had some some nice results. Vavrinka pulled out some big ones. Um but it's Chorich, really, in terms of things won, consistency, and players beaten. It's it's Chorich, mm-hmm. in that you know he, he had a real, real tough ride, especially the way he plays. You know, if you have like physical, like injury issues when your game is based on physicality and movement, it's it's tough to come back from that. Yeah, um, and yeah, you know, fair play to him, really, really strong comeback. Okay, um, I wanted to potentially say Stan Wawrinka because I think to do it at his age is very impressive, but the the reality is he's played some good matches and not actually had that many particularly good results on the biggest stage, um, so quite hard to give it to him. But I wanted to give him a mention anyway. I do agree with you, lads. I think Borna Chorich is, is probably the right answer here, um, despite despite my Stanisms. Um, right, we're on to the Coach of the Year segment, and we've got precious little time to do it in. Uh, WTA nominations, um, Whit Pagula, Wiktorowski Shrontek, Martinez Kasatkina, Jalali Jabour, Perret Garcia, uh, Goff Moyano Goff, uh, Pachirano Haded Meyer, uh, and Hill, our very own Tom Hill, and Maria Sakari. Um George, I mean, I know this award, the 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 other award awarded by the Women's Tennis Association, whoever they are, uh, has caused some controversy. But who are you going to go for? Well, I mean, I suppose there's always an argument about whoever I think is the most improved should have the coach one as well. So you know, there's a case for Haddad Meyer. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do think the genuine improvements I've seen in Sviontek's game imply to me, and and the difficulties in improving at that top level actually implies to me there is some decent coaching going on in there. So I, I, I'm going to go for a guy, Vitrovsky, I think. Um, Jabor, honorable, honorable mention for Jabor's coach as well, because she's had a great year as well and improved a lot. Yeah, I think that was one of those things where uh, Issam Shilali is his name, George. 
um, where I looked at Jabour last year and thought, I don't really see how much better her game gets, and it has. And so there's some credit to be given there. Um, I also think Daria Kasatkina has really surprised me in what she's done. And when you also consider everything that Daria Kasatkina has been through this year, you know, she... She sort of came out. I, I apologise for the clumsiness of that phrase, but like people were aware that she was part of the LGBT community before, and then she kind of talked about it more publicly, um, and you know has been sharing her relationship online a lot, and that's actually been very sweet. And has also, by the way, been living away from her home country, which is currently at war, and you know is a place where it's basically illegal to be gay. So I think to be the person running along with with her on that scent is pretty pretty big i meant to say actually it's probably something that was worth discussing i don't know whether you guys or any of the listeners saw but um doubles player called fabian raboul uh came out as gay this week and apparently he's the first actively gay male player uh, in the top 100 is that the case that's incredible i didn't know yeah. that at all how do you yeah. spell that calvin uh fabian of like fabian and then yeah. r-e-b-o-u-l with uh he's i believe he's in a relationship with another french player all right okay um, well good for him that's um that's great news it's a good um, story yeah yeah terrific uh well, more on that as we know more about it because that is genuine genuine news to me but i'm really pleased to hear it and you know not an easy thing to do either um especially on the men's tour but equally it's not easy to do on the women's tour because as i say it's basically illegal to be gay in russia so um not particularly nice to uh, to be like that um, and go through that while you're while you're working on the tour. But I think it's a big like boon to her coach that she's um, able to do that. Um, right, let's move on to ATP Coach of the Year, which I've muted Calvin for, and it's not deliberate. Um, like I was like, no, he can't have you on this. But as you know, Calvin is our Love Tennis uh, Coach of the Year. But we have to do an ATP um, Top 100 Coach of the Year in singles as well. Let's let's say that's how we're getting around the. Uh, technicalities of it um we've got Ferrero with Alcaraz Fontang with Felix Auger-Aliassime uh, Ivanisevic with Djokovic Russell with Fritz and Rude with Rude who has his father in his corner um Calvin Calvin you may start uh I think it is uh Kasper Rude's dad um I think in terms of again in terms of expectation and outcome I think uh that would be my choice because you wouldn't have expected him to have as good a year as he's had and he did George yeah I, I agree actually um, and I do think Rude's game has genuinely improved quite significantly from when I've seen him last year so this so um, yeah great great work for the family coach it's difficult isn't it from the outside it's always hard to you know I mean Calvin you always say it's sort of 10% is the most you can offer but you know from the outside you're always guessing a little bit as well but um yeah, I think hard to disagree with that, especially as, like, I don't know how much Ivanisevic really is Djokovic's coach. Like, you know, he's there. Um, but he's had a few I... of those Djokovic, hasn't he? Because Becker, mm. I always think, you know, everybody heard Becker was the same. And I guess similar with Murray and Lendl. You know, there's a lot of talk of, like, people don't really know what Lendl offers to that. Well, he's not um, there quite a lot of the time. Yeah. Like, when Lendl started working with him again this time around, he literally wasn't there for, like, the first three weeks. He was just basically emailing. Um, so yeah, I would, yeah. I would say at least in Ivanisevic's defence that 
Vida's not around anymore. No, that's uh, true. You know, that was the main man. Yeah, I do yeah, think yeah. Ivan Isovich probably has taken on a lot more than than Becker was in those days, as was shown by what happened when Becker left versus what happened when Vida left. So <laughs> yeah, the quite. fact he's bridged that gap is probably uh, a feather in his cap. Well, we've done really well to get through all of that. Uh, we have two more things on our list, and we would like to do them properly, I think. So I think we're going to hang them over to next week. Um, because there is actually, in the biggest disappointment, there is also a lot of conversation to be had, which I'd like to bring in a couple of listener questions. Um, remember, if you want to get in touch uh, by email, you can do so, lovetennispod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also tweet us at lovetennispod uh, or send us DMs, just me, James Graceport, or Belshaw George, or Cal Beton, as we all are on Twitter. Um, most importantly, please do come back and listen again next week. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.